So for this week's episode, I got to interview Jake Burhands. Now, Jake is a wholesaler, and he actually got started with his business partner, Isaiah Barba, when they were in college. Jake went to UNH. Uh, I believe Isaiah did too, and I'm having him on in a week or so, so we get to learn a little more about him as well. But they opened up Maple Birch Properties, which is where a lot of their holdings are, and for a while they wholesaled out of that company. Now they have moved into a opening a different company strictly for wholesaling called Quality Assured Home Buyers. Since then, Jake has moved down to St. Petersburg, Florida, and he is virtually wholesaling again alongside his business partner, Isaiah, who handles the disposition and Jake handles the acquisitions. Now, this is a very content filled episode uh, strictly around wholesaling. So it's awesome to kind of hear Jake's story, how he got to the point where he is today and you know sort of his future goals and things like that like i said there's it's almost exclusively specific wholesaling tips and tricks and i know that a lot of people are interested in wholesaling and you know obviously it's kind of the talk of the town in terms of real estate investing and and how to get into it now he kind of talks about the barrier of entry what his day to day looks like how he's expanding his team, and again, what those future goals are for the company. So without further ado, here's Jake. But yeah, so last time we talked, you it was face-to-face. You were in New Hampshire. So it's been a yeah. very recent move down to St. Pete. How's that been? It's been good. It's been really, really good. It's different than New Hampshire. It's everything I thought it would be and more. Um, now, everything I do is virtual, right? Everything I do is over the phone, virtual sales. I didn't need to move down here, uh, but I wasn't tied to being up in New Hampshire. So I said, you know, why the heck not? I've always lived in New Hampshire. Why don't I move somewhere else? And I'd gone to a real estate conference uh, a few months prior. And uh, this guy, Cash Money Mike, uh, who's a pretty prominent investor, had, was talking about Tampa. I was like, oh, Tampa is the upcoming area, all these things. I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's go to, let's go to Tampa. Like it's, uh, it's warm down there. And I think the biggest thing too is expanding my network and meeting other like-minded people that were my age in their twenties and just trying to expand that way. A lot more going on, a lot more energy. So overall it's been phenomenal. I think it's the best place in the world. Like I don't even want a vacation anywhere else. I would just stay here. Like I don't need to go anywhere. Well, it was funny when we were talking too, cause you had mentioned that and I'm like, dude, like I'm extremely, extremely jealous cause St. Pete's my dream spot. Like that's where I want to move as well. So I'm like, ah, Like, dude, you you like put that spark in my head and I'm not going to lie. I've just been thinking about it ever since. I'm like, all right, this isn't just like a dream. I know people moving down to that area. Like I got to get my ass in gear to actually get there myself. But, um, yeah, make the decision, right? Yeah. It's the decisiveness. I parked my car and drove down. I didn't even have an apartment. I had my, I had my grandparents who had a house down here that was like empty. So I stayed down here for a week, drove down to Tampa one weekend looked at five apartments and just picked one like boom so signed the lease two days later i was just moving in i was just i was on a mission to get down here that's awesome that's that's cool there's actually somebody uh i forget his instagram handle but he's a mortgage lender and he did i mean not i wouldn't say exactly similar but he did pack his car like at 18 so he was a little younger and drove right down to miami and lived in his car for like a yeah. year like and, and now he's a famous mortgage lender down down in miami yeah um, but just a great story though, you know? Well, that's what I mean. Like you get to, you get to have that story too. Like I packed my shit and I just head down to Tampa. Yeah. Um, but, but how's it been in terms of the, um, the virtual, I mean, you're the, well, explain to me your role. 
first in, in, in QA? Yeah, so in QA, um, QA home buyers, I am on the acquisition side. So it's predominantly a wholesaling company. Um, I mean, we do a lot of wholesale. I like to think of the business as a, it's a direct to seller business. I call it a, uh, a real estate acquisitions business because that's ultimately what it is, right? We go off market, we source off market opportunities and we lock up those opportunities. And we have one of three options once they are, they are under contract. We can either assign it to another investor. That's kind of the active income approach. Some people are realtors. You can wholesale for active income as well, right? But additionally, you have two other options. You can fix and flip, which we're not doing much of now, but at some point we will start to do. And then also you can buy and hold, right? So we're targeting mainly single families and, and two to four unit multifamily uh, and doing a lot of wholesale volume right now just for active income. Uh, but my role is on the acquisition side. So I've built that up. Uh, we have two cold callers and a texter, and then we just hired a lead manager. So I'm managing all them. Uh, and I'm playing the closer and the sales manager because you have four positions on the acquisition side or four departments. You have lead generation, which there could be any number of verticals for that, right? Or marketing methods. You could have calling, texting, email, pay-per-click, uh, direct mail. We're doing texting, calling, and, and cold email. Um, so that's our lead generation. Lead follow-up. So once the lead comes into the system, especially when you are prospecting, right? Cause you have prospecting and marketing prospecting is when you're reaching out to the seller, right? When you're reaching out to the seller, you could be hitting them at any timeline, right? They could be maybe selling in a year. You hit them when they're 10 months away or eight months away or six months away. Right? So you need a lead follow-up manager to follow up with that lead until they're ready to go. In which case the closer comes in the sales department, right? And they close the deal. Um, and then the sales manager is really, to the benefit of the closers. And I plan to get an in-person office down here in St. Pete's once we hire our first closer, which I'm planning on doing early next year. That's when we'll really bring on like our first employee because right now everyone's a virtual assistant, which is great. It's a little bit of a lower cost, um, but we'll hire from, the, from off of Indeed probably for our closers. And the sales manager oversees the closers. Their sales manager is the best salesperson, first of all, right? So. When your closers can't close, the sales manager is going to hop on the phone and they're going to try to close close the seller, right? Secondly, sales is a difficult job and it is a difficult position to get on the phone for eight hours a day and just get cussed at and all these things, right? It's a, it's a really grinder position. So the sales manager is there to be a coach, bring the energy up, hold people accountable, do all these things, um, but really just be the leader and the coach. So right now I'm the closer and the sales manager. Once we start to hire some closers, then... I will move up to sales manager and then ultimately hire a sales manager, right? After we're doing about, I mean, yeah, th at this point in the year, so yeah, I'm kind of just going off on tangent, but at the beginning of the year, we were like, I was cold calling at the beginning of the year. I was literally cold calling. So we've hired all of our lead generation and our lead follow-up. We've done about 250,000 in revenue this year. Um, and then I think we can do maybe that this quarter. Like we, we have already literally a limiting mindset. The most, the, the most contracts I've ever gotten in a single month was four contracts. Right. And I was like, I had this thought process the other day. I was like, you know, initially my goal is like, right, I'm, we're going to hit a hundred thousand a month by 12, 31, 2024. That's what we're going to do. Right, man. All right. We could do that. I can do that hundred percent. And then I was like, you know what? I think I can do it by June. 
I think I can do it by June of 2024. I'm going to be doing 100K a month, 100K a month. And, and then I was just, I was driving the car and I was like, man, I think I could do it by, I think I could do it by the end of this year, three months. I was like, man, that is, that is quick. I don't know if I can do that. Like that is tough. And then October 1st, I was literally like, why can't I just do hundred K this month, this month, right now? Like, what is, what is stopping us from doing hundred K this month? Um, and I was like, I think just my mindset, I think that's it. Like, why, why can't I just lock up two contracts a, a week? Why can't I lock up a contract every day? Why can't I do that? We have the lead, the lead, the leads coming in. Um, so then I start that day, that day, October 1st, I come down, right. my, I come down right in my journal. All right. What, what would I, what would I act like if I was doing hundred K a month? Like, what would I be doing? Okay. I'd be getting up. I wouldn't be distracted. I wouldn't be on my phone all day. Right. I'd be hitting these KPIs, 50 to 70 dials, three to four hours of talk time, three to three to five offers. I'd be doing these things every single day. Right. Any sort of administrative work. I'm not doing that between nine and five. I'm doing that either after 5 PM or before 9 AM. Right. That, that nine to five is my, my closer time. Um, and this, this month we have six contracts locked up already. It's the 17th. Um, I think I can get at least another four or five. So it's very, very possible right now that we will get a hundred K this month in funded. Like, can you believe that? That'd be a mindset thing. I was like, we're going to do a hundred K by freaking a year and a half from now. And then I slowly work my way back. It's like, why don't I just do it right now? Um, so that's my whole tangent on. Yeah. I what, love what is that. My role? That was the question I just went off, but, um, but yeah, no. my role is the acquisition side. Ultimately I want to scale myself out of that. Um, and just be the owners of the business. That's the goal. We want this to be a cash flowing machine for us so that we can uh, just go into multifamily, right? Right. Okay. Dude, that is very impressive. So what I got to ask you, and maybe you don't, do you you know um, uh, Tiffany and Josh High? I, oh, did you send it to me? I, no. Oh no, you know, someone else sent it to me like a realtor or something. So they're, they're wholesalers and they do, yeah. they, they do right now about three, they're anywhere from 250 to 300 deals a year um, yeah. out of Ohio. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're big Insane. time. It's fun. The reason I ask you is because you, you speak exactly how they speak about wholesaling. So like, like everything that you, you the way you speak about wholesaling and the, the knowledge that you have like you refer to everything very similar to how they do. So it's actually funny in mm-hmm. in November I'm going out to Ohio uh, cuz they they have like an event that they hold and it's a little more in depth and so obviously uh, I am well behind where you're at but the goal is to is to generate leads for my own flips. Um you mm-hmm. know cuz I have the in-house resources for contracting um that you know not everybody does. So when it comes to a flip, typically I can make the numbers work a bit better than others. Um, like I said, only because I don't have to outsource all my contracting if I don't, if I don't want mm-hmm. to. That's an interesting point. Um, I think it's figuring out what works best for you. Cause maybe it's a lot of work though. Like everyone's like, I mean, I'm glad that people pitched wholesaling to me as like this easy thing. Cause I probably never would have got started. It is freaking hard. It is so hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done building this business. So it's not like, oh, just made 50K, dude, made, made yeah. 80K. Right. Like, no, that is that is not the business. The business is waking up every day and just eating dirt while you try to call these sellers and build the business. You know what I mean? So also think about, yes, generating leads, right? Many people do that, sending out mailers, doing those things, and it could work for you. 
Another, another avenue too would be just to stick in the fix and flip space, right? But network with wholesalers and other people who are finding deals and that'll be your source of lead generation. Because it's a whole beast in itself trying to create an acquisitions company to generate leads, right? Um, if you can do it, like you're golden. Well, ideally, that's the route I take, and and the reason yeah. I even I even look at the wholesaling is because I mean the reality of fix and flips is that you can only, I mean you know if you find the right amount of money you can fund multiple projects at a time. But the reality is, mm-hmm. most of the time, especially if you're doing in house, like you got to stick to a local market because you're in house yeah. contracting. So the idea is actually very similar to yours, which is um, I, I'd like to build that, that beast. Yeah. I I'd like to actually build that, that business that is, I would say predominantly at one point would be wholesaling just because, you know, at, at the point where you're at now, you wouldn't be able to flip every, every lead that came in. No, no. And that's not the point. Like, how do you think wholesaling was invented? It was invented by investors who found properties, right? Say they had 10 projects going on, deal falls into their lap and they're like, man, this is a little bit outside of my location here. Do I really want to, you know what? I, Joe actually, Joe's from Laconia. You know, he, he might just want this deal. Hey Joe, I got this deal hundred K like, listen, I'll sell it to you for like one ten. I just don't want to deal with it right now. Joe's like, great. Yeah, I'll buy that. I mean, that's how, I feel like that's how wholesaling just got invented. It's because investors right. are stirring up these leads and, and they know it's a deal. So they lock it up. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know if I really want to take it down, but I still want to capitalize on the opportunity. So I'll just sell my interest to my buddy or whoever. Right. Obviously, it's been commercialized, and people like Eric Klein are just freaking blowing it out of the water. But um, it's interesting. It's so I say it's very hard. It's very doable, though. Very right. doable. Um, very doable. It's it's very simple. It's the most simple thing ever. Like any anyone can do it. It's right. a matter of just doing it day after day after day after day. And I think being around people who are doing it is a huge thing, right? Community going to keep you motivated because if you're on an island it's going to be hard to to last like it's been nice to me having isaiah as a business partner because we're going through it together bounce things off each other uh but who you're around is super important when you're trying to build a business like this because if, if your parents are, are not into it i mean you're lucky your dad is in real estate but your parents want you to have a w-2 job they want you to go get a safe secure job you're trying to do these things right? That can be really tough because not only do you have have to battle your own limiting beliefs, you have to battle everyone around you, your parents, your friends, whatever. And that's just like almost an insurmountable thing. Like it's just unfair. So like I have enough limiting beliefs myself. I say any is my family or friends telling me that I shouldn't be doing this. So I think it's important to, to kind of build your own family in a sense. Right. Right. Exactly. And and, you know, it's, yeah, I mean the, the parents are, typically the the number one um, roadblock, if mm-hmm. you will, only because they're the ones who supposedly were supposed to be the, your teachers, like your, your life mm-hmm. coaches. They were your first life coaches. So what they say goes like you, the, I mean, I'm sure you see it. 90% of the people, you know, follow in similar footsteps to their parents. So mm-hmm. were your, how, how was your situation growing up? Are your parents more entrepreneurial minded or are they corporate? No, my, my parents are teachers. They're both special ed teachers. Okay. Like they're like way into the spectrum. No one in my family is really business other than my grandfather on my mom's side, who was the, the VP of MasterCard back in the day. So he was a pretty big business guy. But Jeez. other than that, other than that, no one, everyone's like arts, arts and like helping 
they're like out there in the community. They're like great people. Right. Um, not really any business minds for the most part, but uh, yeah, my parents were great because they just, whatever I did, they supported me. So like, I don't care what you do. Right. They always have like supported me in that, which has been great. So there's been no pressure from them. I could be a freaking puppeteer. They'd be like, great. Go kill it, Jacob. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I had just read, I've always been pretty motivated. Like I used to play hockey for a long time, like a long time. That was like, all I did at a pretty high level. Um, I never played in college. Uh, just like I got hurt and I just didn't, I could have played like high D3, maybe low D1-ish. If I had a good mindset though, I could have played high D1. That was my biggest thing was, again, going back to mindset. I, I was inconsistent. I was too inconsistent. I'd have games where I was really good and then I'd be really bad, but I was a goalie. So I was a goalie. You can't be inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah uh, to pick and choose. So I kind of took everything from hockey though. Um, that discipline, that commitment, like I was thinking about that the other day when I was just kind of writing in my journal, but I was just like, yeah, hockey was such a great outlet for me. I learned so many things from it, just about commitment and discipline and playing playing at the highest level, like in high school and then in, in juniors. Um, it was like all of those things translate into business today because this is a sport. Mm-hmm. This is a sport, bro. Like you got to be all in. And I was just like, like the past month and a half, I've been all all in, like almost two months. I was like, I wasn't really drinking that much anymore, but I was just like, I've been drinking on the weekends at all getting up at 5 a.m. Saturday, Sunday, doing my thing, right? So I'm just all in on this thing. I'm like, if I can be all in on this thing weekends, no one's going to compete with me. Like, it's just going to be game over. Not that it's a competition, but... Oh, no, uh, it, no, it is a competition. It absolutely, yeah. I, in my eyes, it absolutely is. It's like, because the reality is, like, I, I also look at it like, hey, if, if I'm going to jump into the space, then you're a competitor of mine. I mean, that's the reality mm-hmm. because you're in the same market, which also, what what markets are you in? I know that I've seen you guys post on Instagram. You've closed a deal out in Vegas. You closed deals mm-hmm. in Tampa. Um, mm-hmm. What What is your, what's, what's your sphere of um, data look like? Our main markets are still New Hampshire, Maine, and Mass. So we have a lot of data. That's where we have a lot of buyers and connections. Still doing deals there. We've recently started marketing in St. Petersburg and Tampa area. So Tampa, greater area. Just got under contract last week. First ever one call closed. I'm going to post to social media tonight, actually, where it was a that last Wednesday. It was what we call a test day. Andy Elliott talks about this, but it's like when you wake up, you don't want to do the work and you're just like, you just don't, you're not feeling it. Right. You just feel like crap. And that's a test day. How do, how do you perform on your test days? Do you get up and just absolutely annihilate the day or are you just going to sit down and, and sit on the couch and, and fold? And that day, one call closed, hour and 20 minute call. I put her on like four holds and negotiated a couple of times and locked it up. And we're about to sell it right now. Um, but from the first time I ever spoke with her, the lead came in from the cold call. I had her sign on that call, the agreement. And then um, wow. it was just crazy. I was like, I've, I've never done that. And, and and did was she in your system for a while or was that like a, a first call lead? First call. Wow. Like wow. it literally just came in an hour ago. My cold caller's like, yeah, this one seems pretty hot. Call her up. And I called her up, but I mean, that, that's like rare. That's well, like right, right. Well, that's the yeah. thing. It's like, it's like, it's like, I, I, I hear a lot of people because obviously, I mean, I, I at least try to do my own lead gen for flips, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of people make, have that misconception. Like, Oh, well, well, these leads are from first call. It's like a lot, like a lot of what you're doing. I guarantee, I mean, what's the average conversion cycle on a cold call, like five or six months. Yeah, it's got to be. And di- I think direct, I think direct mails maybe like three or four months, but still, like, 
Yeah, you know why it is nine. though? It's that's why it's the difference between prospecting and marketing, right? Because if you think about the leads timeline to sell, right? Think about this as the farthest right end of the spectrum, right? Is they're selling. The farthest left end of the spectrum is they're eh, just thinking about it, right? Just started thinking about it. When I'm reaching out to people, I could hit them at any point in this timeline. Most likely it's going to be on this end where they're like just starting to think about it, right? So there's so much space in between that I have to follow up until they're ready to sell. When you market, you're sending direct mail and you're doing pay-per-click, people are calling you. So they're ready to sell. They're on this end of the spectrum. They're like right here. Their timeline's right there because I'm not reaching out to them. They're reaching out to me, which means that they've made the decision like I want to sell this house relatively soon. That's why pay-per-click on Google and direct mail, those leads are hot. Like they're, they're ready to go pretty much when you pick up the phone. Now it's much more expensive to do marketing and we haven't got to that point yet because you're doing PPC. I mean, you got to be spending 10 K a month at least just on marketing to have that make any sense. Direct mail, you got to be willing to spend six, eight K, 10 K for like six months in a row before you even see anything. Right. Right. Um, but when the leads do come in, they're, they're hot, they're hotter. So and it's all just a calculation. You're looking at your KPIs, your key performance indicators. You want to look at what's your ROI, right? What's my ROI on cold calling versus what's my ROI on PPC or direct mail? And yes, direct mail may be more expensive, but maybe you're just converting more of the leads and your ROI is better. So you got to make that determination to see what to double down on. But it's all about KPIs, right? Tracking your numbers. You can't you can't build a business if you're not tracking your numbers. Like, right. Um, for example, my lead manager, I know she has to be making 150 to 200 dials. And we're trying to, trying to get, fix this right now. 150 to 200 dials, one to two hours of talk time, 25 to 35 contacts, like actual conversations, and then three to five appointments set, right? So I got her dialing. She's only making 50 dials a day. I was like, what is going on right now? Why can't we hit these numbers? Well, she wasn't double dialing. You're supposed to double dial every call. So you call someone, don't answer, immediately call again, right? Um, Because you get a lot of people pick up that way. So that increased her dials, right? And I got her using the power dialer in our CRM, which calls through numbers faster. So by making those two tweaks, she got up to 150 to 200 dials, right? So then she's, she's getting 150 to 200 for a couple of days, but she's getting like five contacts, 200 dials. She only spoke with five people. I'm like, what is going on right now? This is just doesn't make sense. And I dig into it further and she wasn't answering the calls that were coming in um, because we have her answering inbound calls on a different software. And she thought they were like spam calls because it didn't have the seller's name on it. I guess I just didn't do a good enough job oh. of explaining it. So she's not picking up like the inbound calls. Like those are the hottest calls. Like you, I mean, you got to pick those up. Like your contacts will go up threefold if you do that. So they're like, okay, blah, blah, blah. So now today I made the adjustment, like got to be make, making those, answering those calls. Um, and then also keeping track of the number she's calling from. Is it marked as spam? Because in our system, it lets you know, is the number spam or not? So it all comes down to these KPIs. Like I know other successful businesses have their lead managers hitting these KPIs. Why is my lead manager not hitting those KPIs? Okay, she's not She's not double dialing. She's not using the power dialer. Let's fix that. Okay, she's not answering the live calls. She's not checking the numbers for spam. Let's fix that. And slowly you'll fix, you'll slowly put the puzzle together until she's hitting all those KPIs, making the appointments. And then that position's essentially built out. But it's all about tracking those those numbers, right? Why are we not hitting the numbers? Those are the questions, right? Like with my lead generation department, I got to have them getting 50 to 70 actual conversations with the, with the homeowner a day, right? Because if I want them to bring in two to three leads, if they're only talking to 20 people, that they, don't, they don't even have a shot. 
Like they don't even have a shot to bring in those leads because it's a numbers game. So when they're only getting 20 contacts a day, I could be like, what's going on? Are the numbers spam? Are they calling a bad list? Do they need a new list? Um, what, what's going on? Because if those numbers are where they need to be, I know something's wrong. So the key performance indicators or the KPIs are everything. If you don't track your KPIs, you don't have a business. Right. So that's how you make business decisions, right? Okay, they're, they're only getting 20 conversations a day. Why is that? We need to switch it, get them up to 50 to 70 conversations. Same thing with lead managers. Same thing with acquisitions, right? I'm not hitting my KPIs. Why am I not hitting my KPIs? I should be hitting those, right? Um, all comes down to the numbers. If you just follow the numbers in every department, can't lose. Can't lose. It's, it's, it, I love hearing you talk about this because it, it, it's so much more in depth than it looks like on surface level. So it's interesting. There's a, there was a lot to unpack there. So you have the two cold callers and so you expect them, what, what are what are they working for hours and, and what are their projected KPIs? A day? Yes. So they are working, calling eight hours a day on a triple line dialer. So that means it's calling three numbers at once. We use batch dialer. Yep. So they're going to log on. They're going to call for eight hours. They're probably going to call 1600 people each. Right. So just to, to give a reference, they each go through about 10 to 12,000 records a month, roughly. Right. So 10 to 12,000 records a month calling eight hours a day. And say I give them a campaign of 10,000. We're going to call that campaign three times. So we're going to call through it all once recycle it, call through it all again, recycle, call through it all for a third time. And obviously each time you recycle it, you're going to get less contacts, less conversations, right? The first time is always the most. Um, but so they're calling it hours a day. They're call, dialing about 15 to 1700 people having about 50 to hundred conversations and bringing in anywhere from two to four leads usually, right? One to four. I, I, I say two to three is the standard form. Um, that's cold calling. Now, texting has been really good for us. Texting has been phenomenal in New England. We started using launch control back in June and it goes off. We get double the amount of leads from texting as we do from cold calling. So we'll get like five, at least five leads a day to six leads from texting. So right now, my goal from lead gen, I tell them every single day, 10 leads a day. We gotta be having 10 leads of new leads coming in. Um, now a lead is, is defined as anyone who has a reason to sell their property. That's not give me an offer has to be some sort of, sort of reason. It doesn't have to be the most motivated. I'm in foreclosure. My house is falling down, things like that, or it has a lien. It could be like, I'm moving to Florida. I'm retiring. I'm downsizing. I want to look for other investments. So these leads have to be sorted through. It's not, it's not lead generation's department to qualify a lead. Their job is to call people to see who raises their hand, right? Um, so that's kind of their job. Very basic, calling a, a massive list of people. Who wants to sell? Do you have a reason to sell? Great. Moves on in the funnel, right? And that's where acquisitions comes in and they'll, they'll try to qualify the lead. If lead's not ready, it's going to go down to lead management and they'll follow, 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 and then kick it back up to acquisitions once they're ready. Okay. All right. And so that it's, it's, so I want to know, I got to find out who the hell you're using for cold callers because every single metric that I see is that they can, even on a power dialer, maybe only call four, 400 a day. But I don't know what, what that's based on for hours working. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was looking at I was looking at investor VAs. I don't know who you use. Um, but and they, they must have been on a single line dialer. It, it, it must, it must be based on dialer. that then then yeah, okay. Because 
Okay. And so you're getting, so you said 12,000 records a month each. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you, what are you using for data? Are you using like a, um, like strictly distressed data? Are you doing kind of blanket data? Just absentee, everything. Absentee. Oh, going wow. wide. Literally just absentee owners. So absentee owner data for people, the people that don't know is, um, they live at one, two, three main street, but they own one, two, three banana street and they get their mail at one, two, three main street. Right. So banana street is just some other property that they don't live at. So that's an absentee house. For oh, them. Gotcha. And the reason you want to go for that is because they'd be more, it's easier to sell a property that you don't live in. Right. Like, especially in, and we kind of got this mindset from Eric Klein. We've been following a lot of what he's doing, but it makes sense. Right. In this market where interest rates are so high, people can't find a place to live. So what's going to be easier having them sell their rental property or having them move out of their house and try to find something with interest rates of 7% while probably selling the house that they own that they don't live in. Right. So we're just going and hitting, hitting everything. Um, So it's a lot more sorting, but at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. So, right. Well, Well, and that's cool too, because every lead that you know comes in, you can, you can localize a script for them right? Like you, you mm-hmm. as the acquisitions manager, like you, you can localize a script for them now because there's, there's not too many moving parts. Uh, like, like if, if there is that, that added stressor of, okay, well now I have to figure out where I go after this, especially in an environment like today. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's next to impossible to get somebody out of their house. And yeah, I'm sure tough. unless they're in like a very distressed situation, you know? Well, and so that's, that's why I asked if, but, but I know that distressed data is, it, it's, it's thin. There's not a ton of it. So I, I just couldn't no. imagine you getting 30,000 records worth of distressed data every quarter, no, like you a wouldn't. new distressed data. And if, and if you're going to call distressed data, like a small amount like that, you have to use a different method. Like we're using the quantity approach of triple line dialing. Like if I go get tax liens from New Hampshire for the major counties, I might have 300 properties you're not just going to hit that on a triple line dialer you'll call that in an hour right you have to you have to single line dial your strategy there would be single line dial and then you're going to use deep prospecting software to try to find out what's their mother's number their brother's number their sister their uncles their aunts and try to get in touch with anyone in the family to link you back so it's a different strategy and i don't really know anything about how to be successful in that strategy right um but yeah that's how you would go about that that's interesting. No, I, um, yeah, I like a lot of that. Um, got a couple. Yeah. It, it, well, and the other thing too, I wanted to mention, so you just separated from Maple Birch, um, in terms of the wholesaling side of the business, you didn't walk out of, out of that company, but no, exactly. It's just more, um, cause it's a different message. Here's the thing, right? Here's the evolution of our careers. We start, Isaiah was in real estate like five years ago. Like he read Rich Dad Poor Dad when he was like 16, like tried to buy a property and he was like 16, couldn't do it. Like he's just freaking hilarious. But um, he, uh, so he had already been learning under Axel for two years before I even really knew Isaiah because we were freshmen. This is the story of Isaiah and I, by the way. So he was, a, he was across the hall freshman year of college. And I never really, we like knew each other, never hung out, never really, we were like, we knew each other. Um, and then finally he like suggested, um, reading rich dad, poor dad. And I finally got around to it during COVID in May. So May of 2020, I finally got around to it. 
I was like, man, just like broke my brain, right? It's like rich dad, poor dad. It either, it either clicks for you or it doesn't, right? So it clicked for me and we started out reaching out to multifamilies, right? So we were doing that for a while. We did a little bit of wholesale. Isaiah was really into multifamily. I am too. Um, and then after we graduated college, we had already done a few wholesale deals while we were seniors. And um, we had this opportunity to join Compass, which is like a realty company. It was a really good opportunity to be a realtor. We're like, oh my God, it's a great opportunity. We'll join this team. It's with um, Scott Rome and Joey out of Portsmouth, two great guys. Oh, a brick and barn. Yeah. Yeah, brick yeah, and yeah. barn, exactly. And they're crushing it now. But the problem was that we were just doing two things. You just can't do two things and do them well. I can't be... And because we were part of a team on the, on for the, the realtor side, like we needed to be all in for it to work for the team and all those things. And we just were kind of like torn back and forth. So at the end of the day, we had to make a decision. So October of 2022, um, we had, we had a decision to make. Scott was like, yeah, you got to choose if you want to do Maple Birch or beyond with us. And I'm like, we're like, it's kind of a no brainer. Like we always wanted to do Maple Birch. Like we got to go, right. got to go Maple Birch right now. So then we go into Maple Birch, right? So we kind of narrowed it down. We had investment in realty, right? But investment, we had wholesale and multifamily. Then we had realty, eliminated realty. Now we're doing multifamily. Isaiah is kind of doing some acquisitions on multifamily, working on the wholesale business a little bit. I'm just straight acquisitions on wholesale. And we're still like, man, this is just, we're too, we're not focused enough. So then we finally narrowed it down in June. Isaiah was like, all right, we're just going to put multifamily on hold. We're going to scale the wholesale business up, completely automate it, and then we'll go back to multifamily, right? So when Isaiah decided to make the decision to go to dispositions, then we're working completely yin and yang to each other. Like at this point, even this past couple of weeks, com complete for this month, we have six contracts, complete conveyor belt, because all I have to do is reach out to people, lock it up, pass it on to Isaiah. Don't even think about the deal. Don't even think about it. I'm on to the next one. Really next call, trying to lock up the next deal. So it's a perfect relationship for the wholesale business. And then- we're going to scale this out. He'll hire a distro manager. I'll hire a sales manager eventually, which I think by the end of next year. And then that'll just be a cash flowing asset for us. The wholesale business is a cash flowing asset if it can run without us. Right. Right. And then that'll just be our income and we'll be able to go off and then build the multifamily portfolio side of it. And then we'll see what happens from there. But I think the lesson in all of this is that you need to focus on one thing. You need to go all in on that one thing. You cannot be all over the place because you just, it's just, you're never going to get there. It's going to take so long. You got to be all in. And everyone always says it, Gary Keller, focus on the one thing, Brandon Turner. You can't be building multiple bridges right to the Island. You got to build one bridge. So everyone talks about it and it is just very true. Right. And, and if you don't mind me asking too, how old are you guys? Um, he, I'm 25 and he's 23. Okay. So, got you. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I was a little older out of college. I was two years older than everyone in school because I played junior hockey for two years. Oh, right, you mentioned that. Yeah, school. yeah, yeah. So, but um, yeah, we've been full time in this business since last October, so just just a year, about a little over a year. And we're like, man, what were we doing last year? Like, well, it, look back a year ago. Well, that's what I mean. I had to ask because I'm like, I'm hearing these these timelines, and I'm like at what point did the growth go from where you were talking about just a year and a year and a half ago or whatever to where it's mm -hmm. at now? I mean, to, to quite literally expecting a, a somewhat near hundred thousand dollar month. I mean, that's just the jump yeah. from there is unreal. Um, so it's mindset, dude, it's all mindset it really yeah. is like whatever you want to do, 
I don't know. I've been into this mindset stuff lately. I'll tell you. I always used to think it was like foo-foo, just like some bull crap. Like I was like, this ain't whatever, you know? But lately I've just been like, this makes sense to me. Like you just have to become the person that you want to become. But does that make sense? Like, you know, when I said like 100K a month, right? I'm in my journal. I'm like, okay, what, how would I act if I was doing 100K a month? What is that in my mind? What is that person doing? Okay, they're taking their health seriously. They're putting in the hours. They're not getting distracted, right? They're doing all those things. Fundamentally, that makes sense, right? Someone who's crushing it in a business is going to act a certain way, right? Who are they going to say yes to? Who are they going to hang out with on the weekends? Are they going out and partying on the weekends? Probably not, right? They're waking up early. They're going to the gym. So I think whatever you want to do, you want to become become something, you want to get to some place, think about in your head, what is that person who's in that place? What do they do on a day-to-day basis? And then you just do that. And right. you just become that person. Right. Well, in, in a world that's so so oversaturated with a million versions of the same thing, it's like, like what people don't realize is like there's only so many ways that you can differentiate yourself from another wholesaler. And so w- mm. when you when there's not too much that you can do in the business side of things, the only thing you have to rely on is mindset. Like how can I differ myself as as an operator or a visionary from everybody else? Because I, I mean. There's only a, just a there's there's a select few amount of marketing channels. It's not like you can go f- mm-hmm. invent some new marketing channel. Um, you know, I mean, th- there's very few things that really can differentiate yourself from everybody else. And I think that what does uh, Robert Wensley say? Like the failure rate for a new wholesaler within the first year is ninety five percent. I mean, the yeah. odds are against you, but I don't think the odds are against. I, I think that's also a skewed statistic because I think that. 95% of people have the surface level idea of what, and I wouldn't even say wholesaling. I'll say acquisitions because acquisitions yeah. in general, like I'm a realtor as well. And like, I've never actually pursued it for volume purposes. I just wanted the MLS access, but mm-hmm. I mean, I know a lot of my friends who do volume and it's a very similar situation. Like in, in terms of acquisitions, it's like, Oh, it's very similar. But very, you know, the similar. funny thing I always say is that it's the, it's sales, but reverse because you're trying to get somebody to sell you something of theirs. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, my, my stepfather, he's in, he's in high tech software sales. And so he's selling a product to somebody. And so it's like mm-hmm. the, the concept behind sales applies, but the, the, the specifics of it, you know, set aside what the product is itself sales trying to sell a product to somebody else is pretty it's pretty standard across the board so it's almost in reverse and so it's interesting to talk to people like you who are obviously doing well at it because it's a different kind of setup it's a different kind of scenario yeah it's um well if you think about like what is sales at the end of the day i think it's just you're getting someone to make a decision it's what it is right, right. you're getting someone to make a decision yeah. If you're selling someone something, you're trying to get them to make a decision to buy your product because you think it will help them. Right. Right. I'm trying to get someone to make a decision to sell me their house because I think it'll be good for them. Right. Right. That's all it is. So, yeah, it is. It is like reversed, but um, very similar concepts. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, other thing I wanted to ask you. So, you you never really anticipated on getting into real estate. This wasn't like your, mm. your career path. Where did you start? Like what, what was your, 
goal? What was your drive? Um, what, what did you see as your light at the end of the tunnel pre real estate? Uh, what was I doing before I got into real estate? Well, not necessarily. What were you doing? I know you were in college, but like what, yeah. what were you looking to do with the rest of your life? I mean, were you entrepreneurial from the start? No, dude, I, I was going to the NHL, man. Was, was, was that, so that NHL. was the goal. Okay. Yeah, it was always the goal until hockey stopped. And then I had a year of just doing nothing. And that was kind of like the lost year. I was a freshman in college at that point, but I was 20. I was just kind of doing the college thing, you know, yep. no direction. And then I read that book and then I had direction. I still, I kind of lost. Like I always like to be working at something. Yeah. I had hockey for that always. So I just wake up working towards a goal. And then real estate just kind of natural. I always wanted um, to have a lot of money, right? It's kind of a, a, vain, a vain reason. So I, it's not a good reason. It's not my reason now, but initially that's what it was. Oh, I want to be rich. Real estate's gonna make me rich. So that's was a big driving factor. Um, well, it's made even the most now, obviously, I don't want to be financially stressed out. Like that's a huge driving factor of it. But I mean, getting this, um, getting this business automated it's not even about the money anymore really like we could get a 200k rip i'd be like okay that what gets me excited though right at this point is getting consistent deals on a monthly basis that's what i want to see just consistent deals consistent right. deals consistent deals even if they're only little bits amount of money if we can get consistent deal flow i know eventually we can get the money up but i just want to i'm trying to create the system of the business that's what's going to excite me right now right um like a duplicatable process you understand that it's like what yeah. you're building is duplicatable because like you said, the goal mm -hmm. is not to be the operator. Mm -hmm. And and the reason I asked that too is because like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just like super impressed with your sales calls. So I wanted to know like, where, mm -hmm. where did that skill come from? Because, you know, I, I get, it, it is definitely something that you can learn, but it seems a little more natural to you. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, man, that's all just reps. Really? It's literally reps. You, you'd be doing that with reps, 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that, uh, I guess, I guess my ability to talk to people maybe is a little bit naturally one of my strong suits maybe, but I mean, dude, when I first sent out when I first wholesaled the first phone call I ever made, we, uh, we sent out RVMs. I just learned about wholesaling. I was like, Oh my God, this is sick. We're going to start wholesaling ringless voicemails. So I told Isaiah and this other guy who gave us our first list. Um, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to start on Friday whatever it was. Right. Got on the system. I sent out the ringless voicemails and I started getting all these responses. And I like freaked out. Bro. I was like, Oh my God, I cannot make these calls. I remember going in the shower, dude. I was like, Oh my God, dude, I can't even respond to this right now. So I went in the shower. I was being such a baby about it, but I was in the shower. Dude. I was like, Oh my God, bro. I don't know if I can do this right now. I don't know if I can do this right now. First call. I still remember the guy. But I just completely just the worst, probably the worst call ever. And I said, no idea what I was talking about. But yeah, it's just pushing through that, that those reps. Like I was deathly afraid to get on the phone. Like I'm not even kidding. Deathly afraid. I would go, I don't even know how I would even push me through it, to be honest. I feel like I had more fear than most people, but I would go into the business school. And I said this before, I had my batch dialer. I'd put it on, dude. I would just sit there. <laughs> with a pit in my stomach for three hours, three or four hours while just triple line dials. I was waiting for people to pick up. I was hoping people wouldn't pick up, honestly. Right. But I would just sit there and sit there and sit there. And I did that for, I mean, I cold called three, four hours a day on batch dialer pretty much every day, five, six days a week, at least five days a week for uh, 21, 22, for like 
a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. Oh, wow. Right? So I probably talked to, I mean, 50 conversations a day. Like, say I had 50 conversations a day times five times 52 weeks times 1.5. I mean, it's roughly 20,000 people that I was like, hey, would you consider an offer on your house? That's 20,000 reps right off the bat, which some days I'd get over 50, some days I'd get under, whatever. Right. And then just get in the reps. And that was not 20,000 people, right? But that was like as of January of this year. So then I've had all my calls this year. So, and then right. a lot of sales calls, but it's really just putting in the reps. That is it. Yeah. And when I switched to, yeah, every time, dude, every, every time you level up and do something, you're going to be uncomfortable and it sucks and it's no fun. It is no fun, right? First, first making cold calls, I hate it. Sucked at it. Did a ton of reps, felt better about it. Then it was following up with the leads. Oh my God, I don't want to follow up with this lead. Like, what are they going to say if I answer? Do it a bunch of times. Don't care, right? Then it's sales calls. Oh my God, dude, I got to I gotta try to close this seller. This is, I don't know if I can do this. This is, you just feel nervous and you do it a bunch and you're like, whatever, easy. And then it's making offers. Oh, I got to make offers. Are you kidding me? I got to hit them with this low offer right now. I did not want to do this right now. You just do it a bunch of times and then, and then it's, then you're fine with it. And then there's no getting around the, the difficult the the thing of it i still to this day every single day i don't sometimes i don't feel like calling i get that pit but i've come to um just like move past it i'm like it's just a feeling it doesn't mean anything right. do the work and then once you start once you get going it goes away right and well and yeah and, and like creatively getting over those objections because it's one thing to get cussed at it's another thing for somebody to bring up a good point and then you mm-hmm. have to figure out how to like how to how to get over that good point like i feel like it's easy enough i mean it sucks but to be told to go screw like 50 calls a day or whatever that's oh yeah because then it's like you don't even really have a chance with them anyways right right yeah exactly it's like okay that that's uh but yeah i mean getting that call where somebody brings up a good point like yeah a lot of times objections are actually decent points right like you you have to get over that hurdle so what is it like? How do you formulate your objections? Do you have a like a, a, a certain not list of objections? Yeah, no, we have a list. We oh, have you a do. list of things. I mean, I just I don't really follow the list. Yeah, I feel like I can get around any objection just through experience. I can just I can always have a rebuttal to it just in my head because logically there, but, but logically there's always a response to rebuttal for the most part. You just think about things logically. Whatever the seller says, there's a logical response. I really just look at it that way. There's no like predetermined thing, but a lot of them are complaints too, right? Right off the bat. Hey, Mr. Sell, yeah, I'm coming with your property at 1233 Main. My team told me to reach out. You were looking to sell it? 350K or, or take me off your list. Completely get it, Mr. Schiller. That's actually the point of this call. Uh, by the end of this call, I'm either going to get you an offer. I'm going to see if I can get you that 350. Then move on, right? Move on. Okay, so what has you thinking about selling it, right? So that's a complaint. 350 or take me off your list. Got it, Mr. Seller. That's the point of this call. I'm going to see if I can get you that 350. So what had you thinking about selling it? So you don't want to get hung up on those things. Well, I want you to come out and see the property before we do anything. Absolutely, Mr. Seller. We're going to come out and see the property before we make any decisions here. Now, when were you looking to sell it again? Right? So anything they say, you could you treat it as a complaint the first time they say it. You just acknowledge it. Yeah, boom, we'll do that and just move on with your pitch. Don't even give it any second thought. I think the reason why people would get tripped up with it is they're like, fumbling over their words, trying to convince the seller of whatever, you know what I mean? Right. Of why 350 doesn't work or, or whatever the, the reason is. But in reality, you should just acknowledge it, keep going on with the process. And they might hit you with it again. Listen, 350 or I'm not talking, Mr. Seller, 
I get it. You get a lot of calls, right? Am I, am I the first or the fifth call today? The fifth call. I get it. Listen, I get it. I know you get a lot of calls. I'm not here to waste your time. Um, by the end of this phone call, I can, I can promise you two things, right? I can get you an offer or I can let you know why it doesn't make sense. We can go our separate ways. Is that fair enough? Right. And you just keep trying to hit it, hit it, hit it. If they don't want to stay on the phone with you, it's like, listen, you're not selling me a CD. You're selling me a piece of property. Right. right. You want me to make an offer in three minutes? I don't even know anything about the house. Right. You really want me to make an offer in three minutes. Right. So that's what I would do. Like if they're really just going to get like, make me an offer, make me an offer. I'm going to hit them with logic. Mr. Seller, you, you want me to make an offer on your property. You don't even know me. You don't even know me. You want me to make a, an offer on your property in three minutes? Right. Is that really what you want? What you want? And they'll say yes or no. I'll be like, I don't know. But I just feel like, I don't know. Lately, I've been on one, dude. I've just been like, freaking giving. Well, you this. sound like you, you sound like you just have this uh, this just mentality where you're like, it's clicked for you, right? Like like you've completely dialed in, and now it makes complete sense. You're like, shit everything is starting to make sense. Everything's falling into place. Cause it sounded like it was yeah. more chaotic earlier and like earlier in your, in your career when like you, you and Isaiah were both on acquisitions a little bit, you were more on acquisitions mm -hmm. than him. And that's yeah. another thing too. So, you know, I I'd love to honestly get Isaiah on here sometime too, because that's a completely different side of the business. Like Dispo is so different. Um, and, and, yeah. You know, it's, I think that's probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, probably tougher to be remote on, um, would be Dispo. Yeah. No, no, it's the same thing. We're all, the whole model is fully virtual, fully virtual. We don't really? have to go anywhere. So he's got all the connections. People send pictures. We get pictures taken by the seller most of the time. We never even have to see the property, um, or we'll send someone out to take pictures, but fully virtual. That was the goal of this business. Um, and, uh, and yeah. So Isaiah and I, Isaiah's more, Isaiah is, we took these personality assessments a while ago and um, we came up with these analogies. Like I'm more like the rhino. I'll just like bulldoze through things. I'm just making calls. Like I can be a little reckless sometimes. Like I'm not always checking everything. I'm just like, bah, 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 bah. make the calls, make the offers, make the offers. Boom, 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 boom. So I'm just like on the front lines, like kind of doing the work. He's more like the eagle. Like he is not as like freaking psycho is me so he's much more even keeled and like better probably a little bit better at making decisions and seeing things he's always like well did you do this or did you do this or did you do that right so he was doing a lot of kind of back-end stuff doing the systems and stuff while dispo was he didn't have a lot of dispo deals now he's doing dispo but um he's more like that i think about this the other day he's almost more like the ceo i'm like the coo in a sense okay like he's like the um, if you want to think about it like that, I'm like, I'm like leading from inside the business. That's how I build the business is like being inside of it, right. being the chief operating officer. Like I'm in there operating it. That's how I'm building it. He's like, he's like more high level. Like he's like the CEO. He's kind of like, he's collaborating with me and stuff. And then he's also like looking over everything else. Like I, I don't want to look over everything else. I just want to do right. the sales part and do that, that side of it. Well, I've talked with both of you and you sound like the operator. You, 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 yeah. you strike me as an operator. Cause there's, there's a visionary and there's an operator and like, yeah, you just strike exactly. me as the, like, like, you know, exactly what needs to happen. And so you're mm -hmm. going to go do that. Um, yeah. and exactly. yeah, you guys have a good setup. Um, having two people, one on each side of things. So what's, uh, what do you see for a year from now? And, and I asked this question to everybody a year, three years, five and 10, but it doesn't have to necessarily be business. It can be personal. It can be anything. Yeah. I mean, in a year I see this business that 
in this, in this, so I'm just focused on the acquisition side. I mean, in a year we're doing, I think, no, I think I know. I mean, it's just inevitable. I mean, if we get to a hundred thousand dollars a month, that's a $1.2 million business. I mean, it's a seven figure business. I think we can be at by the end of next year, multi-million, multi-million at least. I think we can be doing 200 K a month, 200 K a month for sure. I'll have two closers, right? Two closers, lead manager, lead gen. I'll be the sales manager. Um, I'll have an office here operating with them. Um, that's kind of the one year goal there, I think for us to be kind of in the, in the management positions, but cranking out about 200,000 a month. Um, and, uh, three, it's really hard to even forecast that far out though. You know, I like to look at like immediate, I think it's good to do goals, but so far out, like we don't know what's going to happen. What if we crush our goal? What if we're not even as far as I thought, as I think we're going to be, who knows where we're going to be. So in a year, our whole outlook is going to be different, but three years, I'm out of this business, man. I ain't doing nothing. I'm in one, two hours a week, maybe checking things. I think we're building the multifamily side in three years after that way too far. Well, not even yeah, business. I, like, like just, just you personally, are you, you staying in St. Pete, you, you, you checking out of there and oh, trying a different spot, like yeah. anything, anything. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm in, I'm here for the rest of my life. Dude. Yeah. I'm not even kidding here now. I think I'll be here for a long time at least. Yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna be sticking around here. Hopefully just build some good connections, good relationships over the next 10 years. I think there's a lot of stuff to do here. A lot of, a lot of people to meet, a lot of connections to be had. So I'm excited to, to be here. I recommend anyone who's thinking about it should make the move down here, especially if you're in a more rural area, like your, your whole world to open up that like, this is around and like, you know, there's so much, so many things going on. So it's great. You should like, you should just get down here. You know, what's, what's realistically holding you back though? That's the question. It's the, uh, it's the flips, man. I don't know. Maybe, maybe well, if that's I, how you're doing the flips up there. Yeah. You know, I'm not stuck on the flips. I, I like them just because, I mean, you know, it's it, the, the margin on a flip is usually higher. It's more work, but it's higher. Yeah. And so yeah, I would probably about double. Honestly. It's yeah. It, about double. And I'd rather, I'd rather be in a situation that you're in, but I look at it like, well, if I want to, if I want to maximize each deal, to build as much capital as possible to reinvest. If I have the resources to do a flip, I should do a flip. If it's, you know, in my area, can double my my capital that I can reinvest. But yeah, ideally I'd like to I like the I, I love Carolina, South Carolina, like Charleston. Mm. Um and those mm. markets a popular spot. Yeah, and those markets are decent. Um I, I especially think so like the South Carolina markets, especially around Charleston's popping off. Um, mm-hmm. so that's not a bad area either. Um, but no, yeah, that's a great area. I think you should, yeah, you should probably just stay up in New Hampshire, honestly. Yeah. Cause now you're on this journey of, you just, you just kind of diverted from your job. You know, you got a new door, go to your Ohio thing, go to the, the conference, right? Get back, see what you can get started. Um, I think that's, that's, that's the play for you right now. Sounds like. And per maybe, maybe. and personal question for advice would you suggest that I spend my time on cold calling or should I, would it, you think it'd be wiser for me to just work on the data side of things and outsource for the whatever eight bucks an hour or whatever it is? What do you mean work on the data side? Building, I mean, I guess building the list doesn't take too much time. For, well, for you, you do the absentee. So I, I mean, I'm under the impression that distress, well, distress data, there's a better opportunity 
for the distressed mm-hmm. data um, to be a, a warmer lead. So it takes me a lot longer to put data together um, just because it's it's more specific. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, if I were going on a broader scale, it wouldn't be necessary. Um, I guess my question is, is it is do you think it's worth hiring a, a, or outsourcing a virtual cold caller earlier? Yeah, it's like, I mean, there's a couple different camps. Realistically, yes, you should hire it out. It, it might cost you a little bit more money in the beginning. So you got to, if you're going to hire them out, you could always have them go part-time though too, right? Um, you could start cold calling and getting in the reps because at the end of the day, you do need to be able to speak with sellers. Right. But probably not the best use of your time. I would just hire someone out. Even just hire them part-time and just start generating leads. You can talk to people who are, thinking about selling. Right. And that's, that's what I do. Be your yeah. Chance to convert, convert. Yeah. I mean, why would you do a $6 an hour task? Is your time well, worth $6 an hour? That's, that's what I mean. And I'm, I, I was looking at like starting out at 20 bucks an hour or not 20 bucks an hour, 20 hours a week at like yeah, yeah, eight yeah. bucks an hour. Um, yeah. 20 bucks an hour for <laughs> a virtual. Well, some, that's what Brent Daniels does. He hires Americans. So yeah. That's another thing. It's like different strategies. Yeah, a better return. You, know. you probably would. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I interesting. I, though. Yeah, I think it's good enough. Um, trying to think if there was anything else. I don't want to take too much of your time, but this conversation is just you know? super interesting. Um, yeah, that's that's good. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I guess it's a good question. I've never been asked that, but I think my advice is, yeah, hire some cold callers, even if they're part time, because you're going to get much more quality reps by talking with people who are considering selling and yeah, you might botch a bunch of those, but I think that's just a, you're going to have more talk time on the phone versus just cold calling people. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's, and just get good at sales, man. Outsource it, get good at, get good at talking to sellers. Yeah. And, yeah. and something I will tell you too is, is I, I think the way that you're talking and explaining things is, is like very, um, I don't, it's not, I, I don't say simple in a bad way. I see simple in a, in a very good way. Like easy, mm-hmm. easy enough for that a level one type of person get it, not really knowing anything about real estate in general is nice. awesome. My advice, if I can give you any advice would be to put some money into getting like a camera set up and actually mm-hmm. investing some money into, um, into creating content throughout, even if it's what you're doing now throughout the day, setting up a camera that runs all day long and even, even setting up aside an hour a day to explain what you, maybe something you learned that day or something you already know, because I'll tell you right now, I've talked to a bunch of people and a bunch of people who have great advice and they know what they're talking about, but it's like, it's like the author that's, that's creative, but can't get it on the page. They just don't know Mm. how to, you don't have that problem. I see you as the opposite. And I think, if I honestly, if I were to see you take that forward, I can see a three-year goal being you and coaching. That's my honest yeah. opinion. I, and I don't think I don't know if that's anything you, you're even interested in, but I think that mm-hmm. if I can give you any advice, I I would say try and try and build that in. Not something where it's t- it's distracting because I know right now you are fucking headstrong on exactly what mm-hmm. you're doing. But I think that the, you bring a lot of value and I think it's huge. Like on the, the reason I have this podcast is so that I can highlight people who are a couple steps ahead of me and my audience so that the advice that you guys give are applicable to them, not the Grant Cardone's, right? Like not, not the people mm-hmm. who are so far ahead that their advice is not applicable. 
anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like I've heard Grant say, like, why can't you buy a twenty-five million dollar property? It's it's easy. If it's 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 all about you and who you are and how you pitch yourself. I go, I I could pitch myself exactly like you. No one's giving me twenty-five mil, Grant. That's the yeah. reality of it. So I don't know. That's I, if I could give you any advice, I think you should start doing that. I I could see you. That's great. That. You know, it's a it's really good. It's um, definitely something I got to start doing, whether it's coaching or or not. Um, or even just content, just content. Yeah, like content, blatant content. But For awesome, sure. man. Yeah. Well, listen. If uh, if there's ever any way that I can help you, I'm a call away. You know that, and I'll let you know if I ever come down to St. Pete and decide to uh, to nice. make make a switch. Yeah, man. You got you got a spot here. I got plenty of room. Yeah. This couch. I got a queen air mattress. Uh, plenty of room. Plenty of things to see to do. So. How far are you um, from the pier? Uh. 12, 15 minutes of no traffic. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm like a little bit out, but I'm like um, 12, 15 minutes uh, from downtown St. Pete's and then uh, about 15 to 20 minutes from Tampa, right over by the bridge. But yeah, downtown St. Pete's is freaking sweet. I love it there. So sweet. I love it there. It's so cool. The pier, dude, with that, that building at the end, the restaurant. Yeah, they got like the little cafe, then the nice-ass restaurant, and then that like mm-hmm. club at like Saturday yeah. nights. It goes crazy up there. Yeah, it's it's wild. You're not it's a, a lightning cool fan now, though, are you? I don't know. No, I, I would like to go to a game, though. It's going to say, cool. don't switch up on us too early. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to go. I might have to be a Bucks fan. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, good for if you. If Brady was still down here, I'd be all over it. But I I'm sure, I yeah, that's it. 90% of any New England fan was just here for Brady. Yeah. So 100%. that makes sense. Well, awesome, man. I really appreciate your time today. Um, like I said, Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. It's great. I love to, to come on and um, whatever, share what I can, you know? Yeah. Never know who's going to hear this. So yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome, man. Appreciate it.